Hey everyone, welcome to Linux for the rest of us, episode 251, being recorded on August 29th, Saturday evening. If you would like to partake in this live event, all you got to do is follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Discord, and we try to let everyone know when we do go live. We try to go live Saturday around 9.30 to 9.45, and this uh, episode of Lunch with the Rest of Us is brought to you by Bob from Grumpy Dog Consulting, who was a Patreon supporter, and all you have to do is support us once, and we, Podnuts, will thank you for the rest of our existence. So I want to definitely say thank you to Bob from Grumpy Dog Consulting and saying thank you then ultimately leads me to say thank you to uh, Bruce Patterson. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing all right. In fact, uh, I've been cleaning my house uh, the last couple of days because, well, there's not very much else to do. However, I've got a treat for our fans. Hold on a sec. So as you know, um, Dwayne The Rock Johnson just uh, uh, bought the XFL. Yeah, along with his ex-wife, which is a curious thing to do. But anyway, um, so coming across one of my tubs today, I came across the original XFL banner. So let's see, we've got the Orlando Rage. I stopped hearing you, Bruce. I got the Orlando Rage right here. Nice. Got the original uh, league banner. Lost you again. I had the uh, Chicago Enforcers here. And then uh, finally, the Birmingham Bolts. Nice. Very nice. So now if I can find some way of selling all of that stuff and making good money for it, we'll be good to go. <laughs> well, and being a red-blooded American by that, you know, me here, long-term American, um, I'll say this. Tangent. Joseph Biden's middle name is Robinette. There's many people with the last name Robinette in my family graveyard, thus cementing the fact that he's literally only like a third cousin away from me, which scares If Dwayne The Rock Johnson will not run for president, at least he'll purchase the XFL to give me something to support him with. Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, and, and there was nothing wrong. Actually, I think the second iteration of it was getting it right because... You know, they went and targeted more of the, the, the cities that wanted to see them. And, um, you know, I think the next time around, they, they might actually nail it. Third time's a charm. I guess we'll see. Yeah, I mean, um, part of it is people are getting tired with the political, I don't want to say political correctness, but the correctness in the NFL is becoming, to some people, like, um, they have, like, a gastrointestinal disease and it's like coming back up through the wrong way kind of thing um while that is stated there's no doubt the players in the nfl are among the the best athletes that have ever existed and if we can give them a alternate stage to show their talent then i'm all game for it well also i mean let's face it the I don't know who does the PR for the NFL. They should have been fired years ago, but oh wait, that could be Roger Goodell. So anyway. Exactly. Yeah. They they can't get out of their own way. And neither can any of the owners. I mean, really, Dan Snyder, do you really need to twist your arm before you change the name of that crappy team in Washington? I know, but here's the thing, Bruce. Uh, when they poll actual Native Americans, Less than, I want to say, 7% of them think it's an offensive name. 
over 80% of them think it's good to have their name in the public conscious. So it's a question of, did he change the name because actual Native Americans thought it was offensive, or did he change the name because politically correct Karens who live in suburbs thought it was offensive? Oh, no. Actually, a more powerful force got him to change. It was his sponsors like Nike and FedEx. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's too bad because it, it, it had nothing to do with, you know, a right or wrong decision. It's like, we won't support you, so you're SOL. However, going on that note, and not to cause too much of a ripple here, but when the day is done, Lando Lakes decided to take the, the, the Indian woman off of their product. Now, I argue that they should have kept it because... I think what they were probably going for initially was, you know, this butter is as pure as the land we work with, you know? I don't think it had anything to do with misappropriating, you know, a Native American woman on their product. And they they should have pushed back. I mean, Trader Joe's, same thing, you know? They pushed back and they said, listen, it's lighthearted, we're not racist, and it was meant to have fun. And I think people have forgotten how to do exactly that. Well, it's one of those things. Time is a very important perspective on beliefs, ideals, and history. And I tried to explain this to my wife very unsuccessfully, that you cannot say the founders were racist because they had slaves. It's like jumping ahead. 200 years and looking at yourself saying you owned a gas guzzling car. You are obviously an anti-environmentalist. Um, everything in the universe is much more nuanced than that. You can support something yet take part in an activity that directly contradicts that because I don't want to say convenience because we're lazy human beings. Well, I think one of the things, and I wish I could remember who said this, and they, they put it so eloquently, we need to stop looking backwards because we'll never progress forward if we continue. You know, and that's true. I mean, you know, this is complete armchair quarterbacking at its worst. Um, actually, one of my favorite writers, Baltimore's own H.L. Mencken, uh, wrote a lot of books, and at the time, he was considered... Uh, you know, one of the best reporters out there. However, he released his uh, diaries 25 years after his death, and then he was labeled a racist. Now, again, we need to keep these things in context for the time that they were used in. Was it right? No, no, it wasn't. That's why we learn. We learn from those things and we progress. But again, you consider the time and the way things were. Uh, and I think people forget that. Um, again, learn from the past and educate yourself about the future and just go forward. Uh, I'm, I'm tired of where we are with things. But anyway, folks didn't come here to listen to us to this part, so I think we should move on. Well, well, I'll say because of you, I'm aware of H.L. Mencken, and I literally tried to watch like a two-hour documentary about his life, and I was so confused. Um Obviously, he was a smart fellow. Obviously, he was an important fellow. Obviously, he was a guy that challenged. And that's, to me, the role of a journalist in history was to challenge the norms and to contrive. That's not the right word. But to, like, come to the essence of the issues in as quick as possible 
format while providing a good narrative around it. Um, he was obviously an incredibly talented fe fellow, but I have a really, I'm, I'm going to have to watch more about him to really understand his actual impact and everything. Well, the short of it is that there was a book he wrote about the 1920 elections and it was called Carnival of Buncombe. And if you read that based around the elections of the time, you could, it's, it's still appropriate for even today. It, it's a circus and you're, you're the people running for president are your clowns in this circus and not much has changed if anything other than the fact that i think the nation is probably the most divided it has ever been uh even in the short amount of time that i've seen nobody wants to talk uh, or work together ever well i'll say uh listening to podcast like the pessimist archived what you find is we've always been incredibly divided um and i hate to say it like this the most expressive uh, proof of that is if you just look at the Star Trek episode where you have the characters who were down the middle, one side white, the other side black, and they didn't like people who were on one side black, the other side white. We as Americans try to find any excuse to be polarized, to be opinionated, to be against another team. We We are a tribal being. We need someone to say is evil. Um, I will say, if you take a look at the actual election history here, you will find that we have been incredibly unethical. What we're doing today is actually remarkably tame. It really is compared to how it was in the past, but that doesn't mean here in 2020, everything is sane, everything is perfect. Um, but FUD exists. FUD, honestly, I want to say it was maybe episode five of this show where I brought the term FUD into existence because it is a real, true thing that everyone has to be aware of. Now, FUD stands for fear, uncertainty, and doubt. The fear doesn't necessarily mean it's fake. The uncertainty doesn't mean it's unnecessarily fake. And the doubt doesn't mean it doesn't exist. But when you understand the fact that people push FUD onto areas, for the fact of trying to get clicks, trying to get headlines, trying to get attention, trying to get propaganda to push through, then you are better able to identify when FUD happens. Uh, Stephen J. Von Nichols, who maybe is one of my most respected people in the Linux journalist world, because I don't respect too many of them, did publish an article there on ZDNet, because that's his uh, you know, place of choice basically talking about he was sick and tired enough with the Linux security FUD. And he basically cut through a lot of propaganda. And in my humble opinion, he basically hit the nail on the head. Oh, and I completely agree. Although, you know, every time I keep seeing uh, the uh, term boot hole, <laughs> that's not what translates in my mind. But uh, yeah, I think an article like this was necessary because in the last, uh, a uh, couple of weeks, you know, CNET has been a little has been the source of irresponsible journalism in some ways because, you know, in highlighting some of the issues around Linux security, you know, they make it seem like it's one of the most unsafe platforms out there. And let's face it, that's that's not true. I mean, 
I think a couple of things we have to look at, and we've had this discussion in the past. Uh, across all of it, I believe the Sands uh, Institute had um, had uh, done a you know a yearly report on these kind of things. Now all OSs across the board see seem about the same see about the same amount of tax attacks a month. And the thing is, is that what separates Linux from the other two, and I'm talking about Mac and Windows, is the fact that once something is posted as being insecure. I would say that that loop is usually closed, if not within the day, certainly within the week. Because the thing is, is that um, there that's the benefit of open source, in my opinion. That's why I enjoy this stuff. If I know something is, is out there and insecure, I know how to address it. And more importantly, I know that it will be addressed. Unlike Windows, uh, last time I looked, I think it was, what, 470 uh, zero days in their OS as of right now. So anyway, good for Stephen J. Vaughn Nichols. Yeah, and I mean, that's the whole thing. What he said in the article to me was one of the utter unbelievable truths that a lot of people, to be honest, I don't think have the brain capacity to understand. And that is, yes, there are issues in Linux, but no, the issues are not in Linux. It's the incompetence of administrators who administrate Linux that are the issue. Now, the devil's advocate is there is a huge amount of issues that are happening in Windows right now that are not Windows issues. They are, in fact, issues with Windows administration. But taking that aside, then you take a step back and say, well, what are the differentiators? Here's a perfect example. Windows just patched this month in August a exploit that was reported to them two years ago that allowed RDP access bypass to a command shell, which meant I'm going to have to guess certain three letter governmental organizations said to them, you cannot patch this because we are currently utilizing this for our own means, for our own purposes. Um, Microsoft is easily 10 times more insecure than anything else that has ever existed, which is weird because they're positioning themselves to be a security focused company. Um, it's almost like, you know, I'm the town butcher, but I'm promoting veganism. It's like unbelievably hard for me to comprehend. Well, interestingly enough, what does the FBI not do anymore? Whenever they secure an iPhone, they don't need to go to Apple anymore for the codes to break in because they've found a company that knows how to do that, which means they have something that Apple doesn't realize. Well, I don't know. I don't know if I would say they don't realize, but they don't admit is the best way I could put it. Um, and look, I'm not saying anybody is completely innocent in any of these things that we talk about. The way that I put it is everybody from Huawei to show me to Microsoft, to Facebook, to Twitter. They're all guilty. I will say it like this. They're all guilty in different ways. The only thing I think to be in even remotely close to being honest and pure is something that is completely transparent. Transparency is the pathway to security, the pathway to 
honesty, the pathway to being completely like open. And the only thing I know that is completely transparent is the Linux operating system. Exactly. Um, you know, of course, like anything else, when you when you consider when the day is done, when you put a fresh OS down on your machine, it's not going to those non-work related websites. Yeah, and I will say I understand people who are more enterprise focused who feel like they have to rely on third party vendors and closed source things to get their job done. But Every single day, I keep seeing code being relinquished to a completely open source nature that I didn't think was even possible to being open sourced two, three months ago or five or 10 years ago. Um, so I think it's inevitable. And I think every company worth its weight in salt understands they're all going to have to be in the open open ecosystem they're all trying to figure out how they can be completely open yet marginalize everyone else and completely control their channel of software and development and services and ecosystems now one of the things i was hoping we could segue into is uh firefox or actually more accurately mozilla and vpn because um that's actually a story i've been very interested in and almost at the point where i'm willing to pull the trigger on it although to this point there's still no uh, vpn client for it which is interesting because i think the question i was going to ask you was um is it really necessary that they provide a client i mean i would think that you could use something like open vpn is is that not true it's, I'll just say it like this. I don't completely know what they're thinking, what they're doing, what their end goal is, but on Windows and Mac and Android and iOS, you can run the Mozilla VPN and it works fine. And now here's the weird thing, Bruce. I've been running it now 24 seven for two months and certain things, whether on mobile data or on Wi-Fi, are ridiculous ridiculously quicker some things are just as slow as they ever were and i don't understand either one why it happens um right now uh if you go on g hacks you can use the mozilla vpn on linux and mac os devices right now but it literally requires you to install wine on your linux operating system which i think is absolutely but not to be like christmas story Red Rider BB gun level of craziness. Uh, you know, I love wine and the fact that um, you could take it either way. I usually prefer to use the W-H-I-N-E wine. Yeah, I mean, I'm happy wine exists. Wine serves a purpose. Uh, I've actually bought crossover office in the past, and I look forward to giving them money again in the future, but I really wish they didn't need to exist well here's uh here's where i um give what do we call that you know religious a confession <laughs> so as you know i am the only user of opera <laughs> and opera actually has uh, a feature where you're automatically on vpn and uh you know i've never really considered that before but i absolutely need to look a little further in because I don't know what's behind their VPN whatsoever. Well, I'll encourage you to not do a trace route 
on your connection because what you will see is every single bit of information that you have is literally going through the um um how do they say it the dnc no no the rcn the republic of china oh god you're going through china i hate to say it but 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 you're wait how do you know that <laughs> because i've literally signed up for the opera vpn and i actually did the vpn and i actually ran the commands that did trace routes and i was shocked that every bit of data i was sending through the vpn was going through china oh holy cow wow wow all right well i guess maybe we're just gonna leave this one on the side of the road well and there's another link that i literally found super late Bruce, so it's not in the links I sent to you, uh, but it was a list of network commands. It was from Red Hat, and I will say this. I have unbelievably mixed feelings about Red Hat because they're successful at what they do. I know more than a couple of people that work for them. They are unbelievably nice people. I want them to succeed just to make sure that competition is real, um, but they're a corporation who's profit focused. So I have very mixed feelings about them, but I do believe they're the best of intentions, not just for you, not just for me, but for everybody involved with their stuff. They did post an article on official redhat.com five Linux network troubleshooting commands. Now they're good troubleshooting commands, but they're also good commands that you can use just to understand what is going on network speaking. Now, quick disclaimer, I am completely incompetent when it comes to network knowledge. Um, there's the, like six layers or seven layers of network, blah, 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 blah. I don't understand like one of those layers. So when I talk to somebody who's smarter than me, when it comes to networking and Linux or anything, they're always like completely understanding that they know more than me. Um, these commands are the kind of commands that if you do run, then you'll be able to at least get a some insight into your local network activity and then your greater network uh, visibility is the way I'll put it. Now, that's actually a weakness of mine too, unfortunately. Whenever uh, we discuss anything around security, uh, at some point I'm going to have to get up to speed on that because even for security A-plus exams, that's actually a requirement that you know that. So, um, yeah, unfortunately, I'm speaking from a point of weakness. Huh, what's new? <laughs> well, no, no. See, at least you don't suffer from the Dunning-Kruger effect bruce and the dunning kruger effect is a very well documented cognitive bias of you know like one percent of a topic yet you think you understand 90 percent of the topic you at least know enough that you know that you don't know which is a very respectable thing um i'll just put it like this networking is almost like radar okay the people who actually are the experts in radar can never tell you how it works. They just know that it does. The experts I know in networking cannot communicate to a small-minded fellow like myself how stuff works. They just tell me to run commands, look at the output, digest the output, and then run these other commands to understand what, what is going on. Um, All we have to know is in a lot of networking basics 101 
security is an afterthought. Number one. Number two, DNS is maybe the most important thing in the world when it pertains to capital F freedom. Um, if we let countries or organizations take control of DNS servers, they will be able to easily blacklist places that are easily communicatable to other people in real world lingo, like facebook.com, twitter.com, google.com. Without that DNS system in place, I have to tell Bruce, Bruce, you have to go to, you know, uh, 14.82.232.18, which is not as easily to remember as podnets.com. Nope. In fact, it's funny that uh, or not for, you know, easy readable addresses, I'd be a lost man as it is, uh, although I'd be reduced to billboards again. <laughs> Yeah, and I will say there's one command in here I never heard of in this article, and it's the SS utility, which is the command for socket statistics, which is the, I, I know about NS lookup, I know about ping, I know about IP, I know about a lot of the commands because I've had my fair share of network issues that I've had to work through. I've never once heard of SS command. So um, this article at least opened my eyes to the existence of things that I didn't know of. And for all I know, this is the kind of command that if I did know of before, it might've made things easier to uh, diagnose. Now, since we're on the topic of network, now um, refresh the listeners and my memory in regards to your setup, because I know that you're not just simply going from, you know, whatever your current ISP router to your machine, because you have, you have, an intermediary in there somewhere, I believe. Well, I'll say this. Um, currently in my network, I'm now double natted. I'm a firm believer that double natting increases my security a lot. I have my public facing IP address. Beyond that, I have my family network, which I let the kids go wild. I'm not monitoring them because my parents didn't monitor me. Then underneath that, I have my private network where I have all my internal stuff. Now, on the outside, I do have things port forwarded coming completely inside my network, whether it be NextCloud or other types of services that I self-host inside my network. Um, with them, it's very particular logging going on on each one of those endpoints that make sure that there's not IP addresses coming in from Russia. There's not IP addresses coming in from Russia. There's not IP addresses coming in from India. There's not IP addresses coming in from Poland because thanks to Linux, I have a simple utility called fail to ban and I have IP firewall where I can really easily, even for a mental invalid like myself, say if you're coming from these IP addresses, which are geolocated outside of where I'm comfortable with, you are completely denied access to everything that I host. So actually, I'm curious, uh, maybe for a future show, do you want to walk us through how you set that up? I can, but it's really, I'll say it like this. There's no work involved. Um, whenever you're dealing with command line type utilities, it's literally just opening up a config file and just copying and pasting in uh, like best, um, um, like um, 
what is the uh, normal in air quotes smart thing to do security wise speaking um and i've openly complained to windows administrators at the fact that they do not have fail to ban in place on any microsoft properties to where you can open up office 365 accounts and you can literally 30,000 times a second try to access a specific domain assigned to that office 365 account and there's nothing you can do in office 365 to say only allow access to my domain from within these ip ranges um in linux this is the kind of thing that we've had literally for 20 years oh no doubt about it one of the interesting things well one of the big things now in technology is artificial intelligence and um, at the place I work we're actually using uh, something called logic monitor and so when I saw that um, you know it's impressive software no doubt about it as is any AI software to tell you the truth I was looking for um, uh, some AI technology that you can use at home and i was surprised to find that there are actually five companies that that do offer a home version of some of their products uh dark trace was one of them and actually i saw them at the um boston security festival uh last uh, summer in fact and i was so impressed by that product because bottom line is that like anything else you let it run for a couple of days on your machine it you know draws a baseline of what the network traffic looks like you know it keeps you aware of the large packets coming in large coming out and so forth the bottom line is that uh, this was so successful that they actually managed to find a zero day without it actually being on the official zero day list so there's some hope for this and also it means that uh, um, we can get rid of antivirus software someday well I'll say um intel proved i want to say honestly bruce it was now almost 15 years ago uh intel proved a while ago that if you have a dedicated thing between the bus of the hard drive and the hard drive controller and it did not heuristic but it, it did a certain amount of algorithmic determination in the zeros and ones that came over they could guarantee that no malicious code could be sent over that bus. Um, so it's almost like, ah, oh man, I hate saying it like this. Okay, I am gonna say it like this. All that needs to happen is enough people to deem it being necessary, and the idea of viruses could essentially be kiboshed. Once there's enough attention, enough money, enough testicular fortitude pushed towards such a thing, it can be e easily eradicated then we have to worry about stuff like ransomware and and then we're gonna even if we defeat ransomware tomorrow we're always going to have unwanted wear that is like really like balancing really on the edge of useful or abusive and it's really you know it's hard to decipher which is which um i will say ransomware is the kind of thing that now they've gotten so intelligent about aka the bad guys um that everyone is more interested in propositioning how to deal with it once you get infected and not how to just completely stop it outright well i think that uh, a good backup system is one of the few things that actually can help defeat such a thing um, you look a little hesitant there on that comment. Uh, 
Yeah, not in the last uh, 30 days. In fact, the issue has not became if you're able to recover from a backup, but the issue now is becoming before we encrypt your data, we're sending it to us. And if you don't give us money, we're going to spew that data publicly. Uh, there's been at least two schools and two government organizations in the last 30 days who were told, if you don't give us money, we're going to relinquish this data on the public internet. Um, and uh, at least one of the places was, was a medical health type organization to where they, 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 they could not let that happen. So they had to pay. Um, so while everything is evolving, and if you don't believe in evolution, please don't talk to me. Change is inevitable. Change is always happening. Not only that, ransomware is evolving to maximize how much money they can get. And now they're not only encrypting your data, but they're uploading it to them first and then threatening to release that data publicly. Now, that's actually an aspect that I didn't realize because I know that uh, up until this point, most of what was happening was the encryption was happening on their on the uh, host site. So um, the fact that they're uploading it, well, that's a new dimension for us. We actually ran into a situation like that last year, uh, a bunch of folders actually ended up with the extension of .crypt and uh, we quickly found the uh, offending machine and went with it from there. Um, yeah, well, all right, well, I guess that, that means more homework and finding other ways to defeat such a thing. Well, and I'm going to paraphrase Stephen J. Von Nichols. We're going to go back to Stephen J. Von Nichols again. And what he kind of said in that article was something to the effect of security is not a physical, tangible thing that you can digest. Security is a set of processes that you have to understand. Okay. Because of the realistic thing with security is it doesn't matter if you have 2FA it doesn't matter if you run Linux. It doesn't matter if you have, you're up to TLS 1.3. None of that matters. The only thing that matters is what is your weakest link. Every exploit always takes advantage of your weakest link. So it's never about technology. It's, it's not about numbers. It's not about stats. It's not about software things. It's about your entire process constantly being evaluated and monitored and adjusted to make sure that your processes are up to the complete top of the line snuff. Now, it also doesn't matter how good of a lock I have on my door, how good of an alarm system I have in my house. If someone truly wants to get into my house, it's near impossible for me to stop them. As far as security is done, it's near impossible to stop somebody from getting inside your network. But I will say this. Google has put enterprise-wide, every employee has what's essentially called a Google Titan. Um, what it is, it's a two-factor hardware device that periodically asks you for a challenge response. I have a basic version of a Google Titan, which is not. It's a YubiKey. Um, since Google has implemented Google Titan, they've had zero successful exploits onto their network. And that's been more than two years now. Um, so ultimate absolute security is not impossible, but it is requires a hell of a lot of work, a hell of a lot of 
education to every user on your network, and it takes never stopping diligence to be on top of things. Wow, you have a white UV key. Ah, I have a black one. <laughs> well, as soon as I get another phone that supports NFC, I'm going to upgrade my YubiKey because right now this YubiKey is easily six years old, but it lets me have a 63 character password for my nine to five job to which no one can comprehend. I have that long of a password and I complained to them that their two factor authentication is actually incredibly incompetently weak because it almost insists that you use a phone number a mobile phone number and SIM jacking is uncommonly easy in 2020. And I really wish that they wouldn't make force me to partake in such a thing. Oh, no doubt about it. Well, going back to your point too, you know, you're only as strong as your weakest link. And that also includes the password because if your password is password, well, surprise. Yeah. And speaking about security again, um, the United States, um, Oh man, what's it called? NIST, National Institute of Standards and Technology, earlier this year insisted a couple of things needed to change right now. Now, they said that it's going to take two to three years for companies to catch up because that's the way it always is. But NIST said we should not force you to change your password on a specific time frame. Number one. Number two, we should not force you to have lowercase, uppercase numbers and special characters. Number three. We should not record the last 10 passwords you did because the combination of those three things forced users to use incredibly incompetent passwords over and over again and use the password, whatever, followed by one and then followed by two and then followed by three and then followed by four because it encouraged people to use easy simple to remember passwords because we kept forcing them to change them at every X number of days. Now, what really needs to happen is passwords need to go away. But be between now and then, what we need to do is we need to focus on forcing people to change passwords when significant things change in your network. The example I use is if a domain administrator in your enterprise gets fired or relinquished of duties or quit the very next day, Every single domain administrator in that network and every service user account that that guy could have had access to needs to be changed then and there. It's more of a reactionary based system, which might be cumbersome for some places to actually keep up with. But it, in this realm of security, it makes 10 times more sense. Well, and it's interesting for something like that because... In an enterprise level, uh, most of the accounts are AD or Active Directory driven. And ideally, what should happen is that when your role is terminated, the moment it's terminated, your AD object should be put into a deprovisioned OU. And interestingly enough, in its concept, it's simple enough. In practice, it is fraught with peril because sometimes it just doesn't make it over there. There's a brilliant story of a man who found out he was going to be fired, but before he could do, before the HR could fire him, he locked himself in the office and then proceeded to log in with his administrator account and blow things away. He did about $5 million worth of damage to this company before they finally got to him. You know, again, it, it's, uh, they still haven't mastered that. And, Believe it or not, I think that's actually part of the problem, too. 
uh, HR, but that's for another time because you're, you know, if you want a weak link, uh, the Office of Human Resources almost inevitably is your weakest link. Yeah. Well, uh, one of my old bosses said human resources is filled with people who got liberal arts degrees to which was an insult as far as he was concerned because that meant they did not specify any one thing that they were good at and they just said let me just go for the blanket overall here's a perfect example of why you cannot trust domain administrators i put the link to bruce and i put the links in the youtube and the link i'll try to make sure it's in the notes it's from bleeping computer and it is a cisco engineer resigns and then nukes 16 thousand webex accounts and 456 virtual machines in their infrastructure the last thing you want to do as an executive as a person who walks in to your job with a suit and tie and communicates with people and marketing and hr and shipping and handling and not the technical side you don't want to really make the domain administrators mad because when you do this is the kind of thing that happens um, this is going to be a definite black eye. Sorry, maybe that's a racist term. We didn't figure out a new term for it, but for now I'm going to call it black eye on Cisco as a company. Uh, hopefully WebEx as a product will die because of this, because it is horrible. It is a piece of crap. And I'm, and I love whenever I hear Cisco and bad news. <laughs> well, you're in luck because uh, I think uh, Aruba Networks is taking what Cisco doesn't want anymore. And it's kind of like the post office back in the 70s when they decided they no longer wanted packages. So UPS was born and look at them today. Um, yep. Yeah. So anyway, well, I guess we can sort of segue into the uh, uh, have I been pwned code base going open source? Because that's actually an intriguing uh uh, site. I, I go to it every once in a while because I put in old email addresses to find out they had long been hacked. Of course, <laughs> I have nothing to do with those accounts anymore, but somebody does. So uh, it's 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 a fun site, uh, fun slash secure site. I'd check it out. Yeah, I mean, I have mixed feelings about have I been pwned because you have to provide them information in order for them to tell you what's going on with your account. And I, I'm not a fan of that. Um, Firefox also has a built-in service, and I'll say it like this. Here's another reason to use Firefox. They have a built-in service called Firefox Monitor, which I believe does the exact same thing as Have I Been Pwned to where it will let you know if your username credentials are appearing on uh, AKA dark websites where bad things are happening is the way that I'll put it. Um. The Have I Been Pwned guy, I will tell you, he basically quit his job because this became so popular, but then it becomes so hard of a task to maintain. He has to relinquish it to everyone else and say, you guys got to take care of this. Either he developed a drinking habit, a female habit, or an entertainment habit, but he decided, I can't do this anymore, um, which I completely understand because this is the kind of thing that it's good for it to be out there but it's bad that it needs to be out there. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Um, sort of a, a side road to that. Um, you know who Yo-Yo Ma is? Oh, yeah. The uh, famous cellist. Um, so anyway, uh, apparently he works with uh, Harvard University, and they created a, um, a project. And incredibly, it's named Silk Road. 
So if you happen to be in Cambridge and you go by Harvard Stadium, you will see a building that's labeled Silk Road. And, oh, it's fantastic because they clearly don't follow Internet at all, Internet security. And um, uh, anyway, I just thought that that was a, a fun thing to do next time you're in Cambridge, Mass. Sorry about that. Nope, that's all right. So we've already discussed the aspect of, okay, so my data has been compromised. Now what do we do? So you have uh, two links that actually address sort of that. So there's the uh, relax and recover and how to create an incremental backup using rsync on Linux. Um, which one do you want to address first? Well, I'll first tangentially just say the name PC Backup. PC Backup is a tool I learned about from Mark Cockrell, who used to be host of Everyday Linux. I think I just said that wrong. I'm really sorry. Um, it was maybe the most verbose backup software that, re that was completely clientless. You literally loaded it on a server, and then you hit the server, and you would point to Samba Share, FSFs, um, um, directories, FTP directories, SFTB directories, or any kind of open medium to where they could connect, and then it would take care of doing all the backups. I still haven't found anything to beat that software, period. Hard stop. But I love the fact these other things are coming to fruition. Uh, the first I want to talk about is relax and recover. I'll put it like this. It is a very bare bones, uh, command line driven backup software where you basically have the ability to point it to a device on the drive and say, create a ISO of that drive. So it's literally like bare metal. You can back up entire computers granted only Linux based with this one command and it literally takes the entirety of the hard drive and it does one thing called QSing. QSing is big in the backup world. What QSing is, it's the ability to take an operating system and tell it to gingerly slow down processes. So even if you're in the middle of transactional database exchanges, even if you're in the middle of file copying, rewriting, overwriting process, QSing says, now let's slow down everything. And then when you're at a spot, you can stop, let me know. And then when you stop, I'm going to quickly take a snapshot and then you can slowly build your speed back up and take everything. So to the other parts of the operating system, it just appears like processes are going slow. But when you QS, you're enabling backups to be taken, even if normal backup software will think your, soft, your files are locked. So that's one of the things that this relax and recover does is completely command line driven right on their main website. They've literally like a four minute video with no audio or no voice or anything, just showing you how the process is. And I will say it like this. If you're running Linux systems and Linux servers, this seems to me that it seems to be fantastic at doing bare metal, complete drive backup. Um, the other one was that linuxconfig.org. And the main reason I bookmarked this one, Bruce, because I'd never heard of linuxconfig.org. Um, but I was really impressed at the, the depth and the breadth of how this step-by-step uh, -step went through. Um, I swear by the format of the pages, I have seen this site before, but it doesn't like ring a bell. Um, the long and the short of it is, 
you take full backups hypothetically once a week or once a month, however you determine. And then in the meantime, you take incremental backups. Incremental backups are just differentials. So you can say I have backup A and backup B. Well, in the meantime, what are the differences between that? And let me back those little differences up. Um, and our sync, I will tell you right now, if you want to get paid tomorrow, $80,000 a year being a Linux backup administrator, all you got to know is our sync and you can do anything and everything that any multi-million dollar piece of software can do. You might have to figure out how to put it in a bash script or something, but this is the tool that enables backups for anything and everything in every possible way, in any possible way with a simple set of scripts. Nicely done. You know, again, uh, I play without a net, but at some point I'm sure I'll, I'll probably want to start looking at some of these things. Uh, I'm, I think a lot of it is just due to, you know, we've discussed this ad nauseum, but I mean, uh, over the years, I've just made sure that the very important stuff are saved elsewhere. Um, I very, my, my machine could die on me right now and there's nothing that I've lost that I care about. So, um, but in those cases, I'm, I'm in the minority. Folks have literally years and years of pictures they want preserved. Um, these would be great tools to use. Yeah, I want my pictures to be deleted forever. Um, and I will assure anybody out there, uh, if you were able to look at your enterprise backup solution or even a tool like Dropbox, okay, if you're able to actually see the source code that's being deployed, I guarantee you, I will guarantee you my reproductive organs that rsync is in those things because it is an old Unix-based command line application that decided I'm going to do one thing and I'm going to do it better than anyone has ever imagined it could be. Thus, now with rsync, you have tools like grsync to where if you want to graphically click buttons and click options and then get a command line out of how it would look. Um, rsync is the backbone of incredible solutions. I guarantee you, whether it's own cloud, next cloud, Dropbox, OneDrive, or anything else, if they work and they work well, they're using rsync. Now, here's a question for you, and it, it, it's actually tied into this in a, in a roundabout way, but um, what is your understanding of the very definition of LDAP? Well, LDAP, I'll say first and foremost, was a technology that was acquired from Unix to Windows where it was a, um, uh, a very low-powered database solution for users, credentials, and default parameters of permissions. Right. My understanding was... What is it? Lightweight directory, um, whatever. But anyway, the reason why I bring that up is because um, I don't think it was ever meant for an enterprise level um, use, you know, or if it was, it would be a very small. I mean, I, I think that if you're, you're putting in, you know, a couple hundred thousand entries, you're overtaxing. Um, so circling back, one of the problems that I noticed when we talk about uh, backup solutions like Code 42, oddly enough, um, you would think that an AD account is what's used here. Incredibly, no LDAP accounts. And that's shocking because 
Uh, it's a little bit different, and not everybody has one out of the box. So uh, that's, uh, that's a growing pain for anybody who ever encounters such a thing. So just a heads up. Yeah, looking on Wikipedia, LDAP stands for Lightweight Directory Access Protocol. Now, Access Protocol is a very nice way of saying security profiles is the way I'll put it. Um, I will say um, identity management is the greater term in 2020. Um, no company has this figured out. Identity management is an incredibly difficult thing to do, an incredibly hard thing to have completely secure and completely accessible to tens of thousands of users. Okay, Red Hat believes they have the answer. Red Hat believes they have systems that can handle easily like 50 million users at a time. Microsoft LDAP, cannot handle, I want to say it was more than 50,000. Once you get above a certain number with LDAP in the Microsoft ecosystem, everything just dies and goes to a crawl because it cannot handle it because it's supposed to be a lightweight directory access protocol, not a world binding directory access protocol. Are, and you're absolutely correct. Once it hits 50,000, then the day gets long. Um, and I believe that's why Active Directory was ultimately created because it was supposed to handle larger volumes of data. And it's interesting, your comment could not be more accurate. Companies do not know how to handle customer or actually employee data. Onboarding, offboarding is still a challenge for a lot of places today, and nobody does it consistently across the board. And it's amazing how different it is from company to company. And, uh, you know, again, uh, I digress, but again, you're correct. We'll move forward. Yeah. I mean, and I want to say, here's the thing I want to die a like horrible, destructive, violent death is LDAP because LDAP is intrinsically designed with passwords in mind. Um, Passwords were literally designed in like the sixties in the sixties. I'm older than that. And I'm old. I got gray hair. I'm balding. I like need to be, they want to have, give me a colonoscopy. I'm so old. Um, we need to get past passwords. We need to get past passwords. And once we do get past passwords, then we can start to say, now we can look at alternate systems in place to handle identity management because it's all about trust. It's all about security and it's all about ownership. Uh, those are three things that a lot of companies out there think they understand, think they believe. I don't think they do. And I don't think anybody has the answer yet, but I will jubilantly enjoy when somebody figures that kind of stuff out. Well, again, uh, how oh, I had a point and I lost it because as you know, I'm old. Um, but actually there's a, a concept out there called zero trust. And that actually is supposed to replace passwords at some point. Um, I actually became familiar with the uh, phrase uh, about six months ago. So um, there's uh, more to follow up with on this. So for future shows, uh, we'll definitely be following up on it. Yeah, I paraphrase Steve Gibson. Um, I believe he's right about more than a couple things. I believe he's completely deluded and polluted and wrong about a lot of other things. Um, there is the default thing where it doesn't matter what you give the user an option to whatever the default is a huge percentage of them will just do that and he calls that the tyranny of the default and he's right uh he also has the tno trust no one which i do believe is the correct security model but 
perspective is everything. Not only should you as a user trust nobody, the who is ever providing you the source also needs complete transparency. If they don't have complete transparency, then you cannot even begin to trust them. Only with complete transparency can services actually start to begin to be trusted by me. Um, he also has been working on a secure, quick, reliable login solution. And I'm really surprised I was able to just mention that off the top of my head. Squirrel, secure, quick, re reliable login where it is a password-less system where the server or service asking us to log in has zero amount of sensitive information. It It's hard to comprehend is the way I'll put it, but you create a login hypothetically on podnuts.com. And even if podnuts.com gets completely exploited and every bit of information on that domain gets taken by somebody, none of your, as a user, personal identifiable information, nor will they even get your password that can log into the system. Um, there's been two attempts that I know of by companies to do similar type solutions. The only question is, is kind of like the iPod. There was a lot of devices before the iPod that were solid state music driven devices, kind of like the creative labs. Rio was like four years before the iPod, but it wasn't successful. So the question is, is which is going to be the first passwordless solution that is successful. And if I knew that, I would be a billionaire because I would invest in them, but I don't know. No, and neither do I. Um, so maybe we'll have a little bit more clarification that in the upcoming weeks. But uh, yeah, I mean, this is actually one of the things that still plagues a lot of companies. Uh, so if you're looking for inroads to making a lot of money as a consultant, this is certainly one of them. Yeah, and I, and I hate to say it like this, Bruce. Um, a lot of the things, and I'm saying this really slow because it takes me a while to really digest all my words and say them correctly. I really, really, in my heart of heart, wish I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my friends. I love my cohorts. I love everything that I'm able to experience thanks to everyone in Podnuts and everything else. But even with that stated, I wish I was 17 years old again uh, right now in 2020. Because the knowledge and information available to anyone today on the public internet is the most that's ever been awarded to anybody in the history of the universe, as far as we know it. Um, even a company like Google, literally, and I'm going to try to make sure this is in the notes too, um, Google released a Coursera course, but also they just relinquished and said, we're going to introduce a new career certificate program that could lead you to a great new job. Basically, they're going to offer completely free tuition-free courses on things like project management, things like security, things like how to uh, program, how to develop um, software as a service kind of thing. Um, and if anything can actually come to the fruition of challenging how the United States educational system is done, I'm all for it. Because here's the truth. We are doing education almost like it was done in like the 1930s. There isn't really a lot that's changed. So I'm all in favor of forcing systems to evolve and be better. Well, you triggered me when you said the word project manager. <laughs> I need to understand why 
why places hire project managers with no technological background whatsoever. That just drives me nuts. We had uh, a couple of folks on a project management team that were migrating folks from Windows 7 to Windows 10, and their lack of knowledge, even in the most basic forms, drove me nuts. Uh, that's why I have no hair. I pulled it all out and answering their questions. But anyway, I, going back to Google, it's funny you mentioned uh, uh, Coursera because um, looking through the coursework for security i went to the google site because uh, a youtuber had mentioned uh they had taken a business management certificate course through them and that's a great offering especially for uh uh some of my younger cohorts because i know that they're new to the uh, workforce and they're looking for ways to get ahead and this does it for almost no money whatsoever so uh it, it's great that they offer this the funny thing about it is that it was a uh, I was following this one woman who had uh, showed how to get your A-plus certificate in two weeks. And then a year later, she puts a video up called Burnout. She apparently left the company <laughs> after getting the job she had always wanted all her life. So anyway, that leads to another question. What is your passion? <laughs> we'll move on. Yeah, and I'll say uh, Coursera is a... Um, I don't know what the right word is. It's a cooperative between Illinois University, Duke University, University of Michigan, Stanford University, Penn University, I believe, uh, IBM and Google, um, offering basically education at near zero cost. Some things cost money. 90% of the time to take the course is free to take the test to say you're certified costs money, but there's a lot of free content out there. Um, and I am fully in favor of like more places offering free education. And I go to Coursera.org and I'm pr literally prompted with, thank you for visiting. Do you have five minutes to answer a few survey questions about how you heard about Coursera? And I'll just put it like this, Bruce, in the last week, I've taken more surveys maybe than I've ever taken in my life because, um, I am, uh, a, I, I get weird YouTube type surveys that a, when I share them with people, people who I know have no idea what they are, they've never seen them before. Um, I've got weird Microsoft surveys posted to me as well, but also Gallup poll. I don't know if you're aware of Gallup poll. Oh, absolutely. So make sure you answer those questions, right? <laughs> well, Gallup poll now for two years have been paying me money uh, when I complete surveys because typically their surveys are like, 15 to 30 minutes long, very in depth, very like, and they always ask certain questions multiple times to see if you answer them differently, which, you know, I see that from a mile away. I know what you're trying to do. You're, you're trying to see if I'm just clicking to just get money. Well, I'm not, I'm actually clicking to try to provide good information. Um, and I literally like Google play music is going away, going over to Google, uh, YouTube music and I won't transfer my account over. So they finally sent me a survey. It was a half an hour long survey where like three times they tried to trick me into clicking the button to say, okay, transfer my information over to YouTube music. And I won't, um, when the time comes and they kill my account, fine. I have all my music, 29 plus days worth of audio uploaded to my Plex server. I'll just use that for all my audio needs. 
Uh, now that's interesting. You use a Plex server because I was debating that I need uh, a platform to put all my music up uh, because um, over the years, I mean, I've amassed quite a large collection, and uh, I might actually ask you a little bit more about that down the road. Well, the truth is, Plex is getting attention in the wrong way. Uh, there's been a couple legislators who, before the COVID thing insisted to a couple congressmen that you need to take look at plex and what they're doing to protect property rights holders uh which to me said plex is going to die it's just a question of how long because once the government takes a look at it and sees that you're able to share copyrightable information with others well they're going to put a stop to it um if you're just want to use it for yourself for your own personal use, I think Plex will still be a viable solution for three to five years, I'll say, from now. Um, the other solution I'll throw out there is called Streama, S-T-R-E-A-M-A. -A. You just look at that, you'll get to a GitHub link where you can get a similar Plex-like experience, not as polished as Plex. Um, with audio, you can easily create channels, playlists, um, all automatic playlists are generated from like the recently added the most thumbs up the most you listen to kind of thing so it's really easy to have uh content that you enjoy after you put a little bit of work in listen to stuff thumbs up stuff add to playlist <sighs> i just thought of something you know what i have a raspberry pi that's been sitting off to the side waiting to be used oh my god i could put vortex on it and call it a day Perfect use case, yep. Ah, nice. See, you come here for solutions. That's what we are. Yeah, kind of like um, Bill and Ted's new bogus journey or whatever. <laughs> well, I was thinking more along the lines of we're the Winston Wolf of uh, YouTube. Yeah, yeah. All right, Bruce, do you have any uh, other things you want to uh, bring to the show? or Door, this, uh, the fact that you've mentioned Coursera, I'm actually on the site now uh, going through it. So uh, it does say enroll for free because it starts August 29th. So um, 300,000 folks have already enrolled. Holy cow. Yeah, uh, and, and I hate to say it like this. I'm okay with a corporation doing this because government institutions universities need to be challenged on all levels and if it takes a google or an ibm or an apple or a oracle or a unix to do it well then so be it oh i completely agree in fact even though it's sort of uh cutting off my nose to spite my face here um or biting the hand that feeds me i think that uh, uh we're at a point where college institutions absolutely need to be challenged given the cost that they charge every year uh you sent me a uh um uh what is it a little gif not too long ago talking about the prices of uh streaming services and it started off with like roku and then it ultimately ended with harvard university charging fifty-two thousand a month <laughs> that's not wrong yeah i mean on the bright side they should always have enough money to pay guys like you. There's no doubt about that. Um, and I will say edX, EDX, and Coursera are the two sites I implore anybody. Okay. If you're in a time of distress, AKA, you just got laid off. You just got terminated. You don't know what to do. You feel like you're disenchanted with what you're doing as a living. 
Those two sites, edX and Coursera, I guarantee you, I guarantee you this. You spend four to five hours a day for 60 days on those two sites. I guarantee you, you can get a job paying over $100,000 a year, whether you live in Mobile, Alabama, or you live in New York City, like Brooklyn. Um, information is there. The only question is, do you have the desire to follow through, learn, digest, and then proactively push yourself to doing better, getting better? Because I can tell you right now, if my livelihood was in danger, if you know I had bill collectors at my door threatening me that this house was going to be taken away from me, I can guarantee you this. One, Podnut shows would slow down, but two... I would have a job and I would have a job in maybe 60 to 90 days that would definitely cover the differential in what, whatever harmful monetary thing happened because it's all available out there on the internet. And I got 300 up 300 down speed. So I, I, I can digest it. Well, more importantly, uh, certificates on edX, I think start at $49. So again, that's, that's more than reasonable. Even if you were to lose your job, I mean, uh, you can come up with, uh, $50 one way or the other. Yeah. And I'll say, even if you do do something, and I love saying do do, if you do something on edX or Coursera and it is completely free and you are successful and you do get a job. I really do encourage you to stop what you're doing and try to figure out a way to give them money because they helped make you money. And I'll say it like this again, any podcast you're listening to that doesn't constantly interrupt you with ads, you should find a way to support them one way or another. Uh, there was literally a study, Bruce, I'll try to make sure it's in the notes from 1983 to 2018. Okay. It was a long study with over 900,000 people in that study in the EU. And what they determined was it was true that too many ads versus content caused, and they said unhappiness, not depression because they weren't clickbaity. And this was from the Harvard business review where they said too many ads cause unhappiness. Podnuts does not want to add to your unhappiness. So thank you to Bruce. Thank you for the supporters. Thank you for Jonathan. Thank you for Cody Cooper. Thank you for Steve Cherbino. Thank you for everybody who's ever supported this show in the past, Bruce. Um, I guess we're going to talk again in about two weeks. Oh, absolutely. And hopefully intern Jonathan will find his way back. Yeah, I, I will say this again. I did have at least one, two people complain about Jonathan's audio. Don't complain about Jonathan's audio. Blame me. Because before we started the show, Jonathan said, how do I sound? I said, you sound pretty bad, but let's go with it. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll, we'll work on that. It was only because I was so happy to hear from him. Okay. Um, so when I hear from him the next time, we'll be able to get things a little bit tighter, a little bit smoother, a little bit better. Um, but until then, I will say I thank everyone again for their support. I thank everyone for coming out. I thank everyone who listens live. There are actually people who listen live. Uh, and I want to say again, um, if you do not have root in 2020, let me assure you right now, you do not know who does. <laughs>